and welcome to Population Health Plugin, a show highlighting current public health topics in our community and things of interest to students across the university. My name is Mina Nabavi, and I'm a program manager in the Office of Public Health Practice at the UAB School of Public Health. Today, we are joined by Dr. Rachel Lee, who is an assistant professor in the UAB Division of Infectious Disease. Dr. Lee completed medical school at the University of Alabama School of Medicine, her residency at UAB in internal medicine, and fellowship at UAB in infectious diseases, quality, and patient safety. Dr. Lee is an expert in all things infectious disease related, ranging from the spread of diseases to infection prevention and control. Dr. Lee was actually a guest on the podcast in fall of 2018, and we are happy to have her back to talk about the coronavirus, which seems to have taken over the media these past few weeks. So thank you for being here and taking time out of your schedule to come and talk to me and our listeners about the coronavirus and and what it's all about. Thank you for having me. Yes. So to get us started, can you tell me what a coronavirus is and how the 2019 novel coronavirus, what we're hearing in the media, is different from others? Yeah, so the coronavirus family is a very large group of viruses, and they are the second most common cause of the common cold. So common symptoms that you have are fever, cough, runny nose, those sorts of things. Um, What's unique and different about this coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, is that it's similar to um, outbreaks that we've seen in the past. So in 2003, we had the SARS epidemic, which is severe acute respiratory syndrome, which initially started in China. And then in 2012, we started seeing Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, um, which is mainly in the Middle East. And then now this 2019 coronavirus. So that's interesting that the common cold is a part of the coronavirus. So actually, probably everyone has been exposed. Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) And, you know, common things being common, it is viral respiratory season. And so I've been seeing patients on the wards that do have coronavirus, but those are our common coronaviruses that we see very often and very frequently in um, in the United States. Gotcha. So this 2019 novel coronavirus started in Wuhan, China. Do we know where the virus originated? That's a great question. Um, so in December, about 27 cases of pneumonia of unidentified causes um, were noticed in Wuhan, China. And a vast majority of those were connected to something called a wet market. And so what a wet market is, is a market that has uh, live animals and people are there and they purchase the animals and then they're typically slaughtered there and and, uh, people take the meat home. Um, And so initially we believe that there was some sort of kind of crossover from a virus from an animal that came um, to here. What we don't know for sure is which animal it came from. A lot of coronaviruses typically are associated with bats. Um, and what happened with SARS was the civet cat was responsible. And, you know, there's a study that may be coming out that looks like the pangolin, which is an, an interesting mammal that has scales, may be associated because they do have a very similar genetic coronavirus, but we're not 100% sure. So time will tell, or, right. or more research is right. being done to determine that. Exactly. So how does this coronavirus spread, and and what are the symptoms in in humans? Right. So the coronavirus spreads very similarly to other respiratory viruses. So it's through what we call droplet particles. We're not exactly sure how small the particles are that can be transmitted. Um, So we typically think with tuberculosis that those are much smaller particles that we inhale versus something like the flu, which is a larger respiratory droplet. 
Um, with SARS and MERS, it, it appeared to be a smaller droplet, and so that's why we wear those N95 respirators. Um, but the, it looks like what we think is that a lot of people have fever, cough, they don't feel well, some muscle aches and pains, and then a proportion of these patients are developing pneumonia and what we call acute respiratory distress syndrome, so requiring the ventilator. Okay. In my research, I, I learned a little bit about asymptomatic transmission. Is that is there a risk of that with this coronavirus? I think there is a risk. You know, there's always a risk of asymptomatic um, shedding of a virus when someone has a viral disease. Um, so, for instance, with herpes viruses and those sorts of things, right. we do have documented evidence of people shedding viruses. Um, New England Journal of Medicine actually recently released an article about asymptomatic transmission, but that article is under some questioning right now um, whether or not they t uh, asked the patient if they were having symptoms. But the WHO has said in 288 cases that they've had outside of the United States, I believe that they found 16 were detected while asymptomatic. So it does appear that there is potentially some transmission. Are there any existing treatments for this specific coronavirus? So there are no treatments currently right now, but there is an investigational drug called remdesivir, uh, which was initially uh, uh, created to treat MERS. And actually, there are a lot of investigators at UAB that have been looking into this, uh, this drug and helped um, develop it. Um, and so they think it potentially has activity against this novel coronavirus. And so they're going to be doing a um, randomized controlled trial in China, which is it's pretty incredible that they've been able to identify this drug and potentially start a randomized controlled trial in such a quick manner. Because like you mentioned, the cases were first reported in December. Correct. Right. So, yeah. it, I mean, two months. Right, right. I mean, it's it's incredible how much information has been disseminated through this. Um, there's been a lot of sharing of, of data. A lot of the large um, publication journals like New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA mm -hmm. have made all of their um, articles free so that uh, clinicians can be prepared. So as of recording this podcast, as of today, it's been reported that there are over 40,000 confirmed cases of this um, coronavirus and over 900 deaths. However, there are many who believe that deaths and infections from the current epidemic are undercounted in China because of lack of resources and facilities. Do you think that this is the case? I would agree with that. Um, I think we are seeing a delay in a lot of our um, of the severity of illness. There's actually an interesting website um, that looks at um, active cases, and, and it's just very on top data of how quickly we're seeing numbers of cases, number of deaths, and then they have a, a number on there that says number recovered. Um, and that number is about 3,000. So 40,000, 3,000 of those have recovered from their illness. And, and I'm unsure of what that means exactly, but if we're seeing a large portion of these people that are developing acute respiratory distress syndrome, and one uh, JAMA article actually said that 26% required ICU care. Oh, wow. There's a, it's a huge issue there with being able to provide that kind of care and making sure there are enough ventilators to help people breathe while they get over this infection. I know a few weeks ago the media was reporting they were trying to build a hospital or two hospitals in Wuhan in like a week's time right. just because the, the situation was, was so dire. Right. I think they were actually able to, to were they able build to? it, but I don't know if they have enough ventilators to mm -hmm. care for and you also need enough uh, staff. Uh, staff to be able to do so. In that same article, um, they identified, I think, approximately 40% of the cases were hospital-acquired mm -hmm. cases, which is very concerning. 
um, in terms of infection prevention, how are these people um, getting this virus and are we doing the proper uh, personal protective equipment? For right. Them? So, and you mentioned this earlier, I've heard some debate about um, surgical masks and how helpful they are or not with preventing the spread of the coronavirus. Are surgical masks or N95 respirators helpful? Right. So what we do know is that those N95 respirators are can protect you against the virus. But the problem with those, those are meant specifically for healthcare workers. And so they get fit tested on our face every year um, to make sure that they're tightly fitting and that nothing can come in and out. You know, I think that masks are important for preventing the spread of viral particles, but what we're forgetting is our eyes and eye care and that sort of thing. And so it may reduce the amount of a virus that's kind of in the air, but it won't protect you 100%. Right. And I read something and it said, you know, for people who are not used to wearing masks on their face, they may be more prone to touching their face or their eyes and so potentially increasing their risk. So Right. I, I would agree with that. If you have something that makes you feel like you're suffocating, it can be very, you're going to be messing with that mask. Right. Completely. So masks shouldn't be the only thing that people do to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Can you talk about the importance of other practices, public health practices, like hand washing or staying home when you're sick? It is viral respiratory season, um, and what I tell my kids all the time is wash your hands, wash your hands, wash yes. your hands. You know, there are, unfortunately, these viral particles can live on surfaces for a period of time, and so if you touch a door that someone else has touched, then that potentially can get to you. So the CDC recommends something called respiratory etiquette. So that includes um, you want to contain your respiratory secretions uh, if you're around a whole bunch of other people. So masks are helpful for that. Um, you also want to cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when coughing or sneezing. And then after that, you want to throw that away and then wash your hands mm. so that you want to protect others from whatever potential virus you have. Right. I heard this weekend that the coronavirus death toll actually passed that of the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS, which you mentioned um, earlier. Is that more reason to be concerned? So it's, it's interesting because that number in SARS, um, I believe there are about 800 right, or so deaths, right. um, was over a very prolonged period of time, months. And what we've seen now is 900 deaths in a very short period of time. And that has a lot to do with the number of cases that we're seeing. So I think time will tell um, how many more cases of, of death that we will see. Um, I actually think it will be higher, but I'm hoping that um, the mortality rate is lower than SARS. So people with SARS, they were very ill, and a lot more people were in the hospital and requiring um, intubation. And so we're, I think time will tell. Question about the difference between this coronavirus and the flu. Yeah, that's a great question because if you look at what the CDC is saying, cough, fever, it's very joint similar, pain, it's right? ex almost exactly the same. So, you know, it is. if I had a patient from China that came in and had those symptoms, I would definitely test them for flu um, in addition to being concerned about um, the novel coronavirus. But common things being common here in Alabama uh, is most likely going to be something like flu. Gotcha. Now, does the flu shot help? prevent the coronavirus? Unfortunately, no, there are no vaccines that we have to date for the coronavirus, but it will protect you from the from flu. From the flu, right. <laughs> and so that leads into my next couple of questions. So the CDC estimates that so far this season, there have been at least 15 million flu illnesses in the United States, or 140,000 hospitalizations, and over 8,000 deaths related to, from the flu. 
And in the U.S., the flu is currently far, a far bigger threat than the coronavirus. So if flu remains more of a threat here in the United States than coronavirus, why is everyone so worried about it? Why is it the, the top news story? Yeah, there's this interesting phenomenon about the fear of the unknown. Um, you know, I think that we have a lot of people that have had flu before. I've had flu when I was in a teenager, and I remember feeling terrible but not being hospitalized. But as a, a healthcare provider, I unfortunately have seen people that are hospitalized because of flu, young, healthy you know, women who are on the ventilator or men who are on the ventilator, and unfortunately deaths associated with that. So we tend to not connect it to that, whereas this fear of the unknown and not knowing what's going to happen, could this be a pandemic? We use the word pandemic and that immediately incites Strikes fear. Fear, right. right. It, it's just going to re require more time to see what happens. Um, I will say from a coronavirus perspective, you know, we think that people don't have any sort of immunity to this, right? Because no one's ever seen this virus before. So if it did, you know, go through from China or spread to other countries, it would be, could potentially be very concerning. Right. Um, but flu is just as concerning, and we see this every year, unfortunately. And so I wanted to end this podcast talking a bit about the flu and the importance of getting vaccinated. I know that we think about the ideal time to get vaccinated for the flu is in the fall, but if someone hasn't gotten their flu shot yet, is it too late? It is never too late to get your flu vaccine. Um, I recommend it up through March um, because we typically see a large number of cases. So nationwide, we're seeing about 6.7% of outpatient visits are due to what we call influenza-like illness. So same symptoms, fevers, joint pains, muscle pains, those sorts of things, and cough. Um, and, but in Jefferson County right now, our rates are up to 8.7%. So oh, wow. really, really high. It looked like initially it was going down, but it's gone back up. Um, and so, you know, get your flu shot. It will protect you from the flu. Or if you get the flu, um, even after you've had the flu shot, like later on, not because right, of the flu right, vaccine, right. <laughs> it may potentially decrease your symptoms. And utilize some of those practices that you talked about earlier, right. coughing into a napkin, throwing it away, and then washing your hands. Right, exactly. exactly. We want to pr protect other people that may not have gotten their flu vaccine or may not be able to for some reason. Yep. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was great learning more about the coronavirus, ways to prevent transmission, and also being reminded about what we can do here in Alabama to protect ourselves from the flu. Right. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next time for another episode of Population Health Plug-In.